I have to say that I feel a little sad each year when all the Christmas decorations get put away. I love the way our homes and this building look when they're all decked out for Christmas. But I especially love the air of expectancy that is created. As through the Advent season, we wait with anticipation and expectancy to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because in the coming of Jesus, we are reminded that he was born into this world and that he died in our place that we might be saved from sin and death and spend eternity with him. But Jesus didn't come just so we could be assured of going to heaven. He came to restore our relationship with God the Father so that we could enjoy relationship with him on a day-to-day basis, expectant as to how he will work in our lives. Our attitude of expectancy in Jesus is meant to continue, is meant to be part of our daily walk with the Lord. This morning, I'd like to read an account of a woman when she heard about Jesus who responded with expectancy. I'll be reading from the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. It's on page 819 in your pew Bibles, if you'd like to... Uh, Follow along there. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, as we read and discuss your word this morning, we invite you to work in our hearts. Would you come by your Holy Spirit? Would you give us fresh understanding and revelation of what you're saying to us individually and corporately from this passage this morning? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Mark 7, 24 to 30. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Up to this point in his gospel, Mark has given us an account of Jesus's ministry. He's told us that John the Baptist came to prepare prepare the way for Jesus. He's told us that Jesus moved around from place to place teaching the people about the kingdom of God, healing the sick, and casting out demons. And he's also told us that Jesus chose 12 disciples and gave them authority to do the same. In the first part of chapter seven, Jesus has one of many encounters with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And in this encounter, they argue with Jesus about what makes a person unclean. Jesus makes it clear that it is not external things like food that make a person unclean, but what comes from within. 
what's in a person's heart, what they think, what they say, what they do. These are what makes someone unclean. Bookmark that point. That will be an important point we'll come back to later. In verse 24, we read that Jesus has now taken his disciples up to Syrian Phoenicia in the region of Tyre. This is where Lebanon is today. It's likely that Jesus wanted to withdraw from the crowds that were following him around in Judea and Galilee so that he could teach his disciples. So he takes them away from the Israelite population to a region that is known to be inhabited by Gentiles. But even here, Jesus can't keep his presence a secret. One of the people who sought out Jesus was the Syrophoenician woman we don't know too much about her, except that she's a Gentile and she speaks Greek. But I can imagine her maybe at the village well, or perhaps in the marketplace, where she would have heard the local news. Perhaps one of her friends knew about the troubles she was having with her daughter and said, Hey, have you heard about this man Jesus? He's in town. I've heard he does miracles. Lots of people follow him around and he heals sick people and makes them well. And did you hear? He and his disciples fed over 5,000 people with only five loaves and two fish. Yeah, I know that sounds impossible, but it's true. Maybe he can help you. This morning, I'd like us to pay attention to three ways the Syrophoenician woman responded to that news that Jesus was near. She put herself in his presence. She interacted with him and she placed her faith in him with no guarantees that her daughter would be healed. I can imagine that this woman's daughter's symptoms were pretty severe for her to follow up on this news, and doing so might have cost her. We don't know if Jesus was in the village where she lived, or perhaps a neighboring one. She may have had to walk a few miles to find him but her trip would definitely have taken her away from her daily household responsibilities. She also had to leave her daughter, whose condition presumably required great care and attention. So perhaps she left her with older siblings or maybe some other family members. The woman also faced the cost of possible humiliation. She would have known that Jews considered Gentiles as unclean and therefore didn't associate with them. So she didn't even know if Jesus would even talk to her. And she was a woman, coming to make a bold request of a man in a culture that didn't encourage such interactions. When she did find Jesus, she took on a posture of humility. She fell at his feet. Verse 25 said that. She placed herself at his mercy. The Syrophoenician woman paid a great cost to be in Jesus' presence so she could make her request. Sometimes we too need to pay a cost to get ourselves into Jesus' presence. Yes, it's true that uh, when we become believers, his spirit lives inside us and he is always with us. However, we still need to intentionally spend time building our relationship with God and I think in today's society, that is one of the biggest costs, our time. We have plenty to do, and our pace of life, especially in this city, is fast. 
Our days are filled with work, school, looking after our kids, getting them to their various activities, and lots of other responsibilities. Even in retirement, our lives can be consumed by busyness. Many of us joke that retired people are the busiest people that we know. It can be tough to find even a few minutes to be quiet with the Lord. And sometimes we can find that a day or a week or a month has gone by and we've not intentionally sought out Jesus and placed ourselves in his presence. To be in relationship with God means spending focused time on him and him alone, abiding in him, as John 15 says, talking with him and hearing from him. When we want to build relationship with a friend or with family members, we spend time with them. We have a conversation. We ask them questions and we listen to them. The same is true of our relationship with God. And this is something we do individually but scripture is clear that we also need to gather with others to worship and pray and be in his presence together. This means that we might need to put aside other activities. It might cost us a little less sleep, a favorite TV show, or perhaps time scrolling through Instagram. And this can be a struggle. Actually, I think it's a common struggle because I believe it's also a spiritual battle. The enemy doesn't want us spending time with God. So when we find ourselves struggling, we can ask the Lord for help to increase our desire to spend time with him, to help us carve out time in our day, to give us strategies to quiet our minds so we can focus on him. He will help us in these things when we ask him. There are many times in scripture where the Lord encourages us to come into his presence, to worship him and to ask of him, to ask him in the ways I've just mentioned, but also to ask him for wisdom, for direction, for healing, or to carry the burdens of life that are just too heavy for us. And so this woman did just that. She paid the cost to put herself in Jesus's presence. She made a request of him, Jesus, would you please cast the demon out of my daughter? Jesus' response to her in verse 27 would have challenged a lot of us. First, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Referring to someone as a dog seems rude and insulting at the very least, whether in Jesus' time or in the present day. What was Jesus thinking? This doesn't seem like good public relations. I can imagine the woman thinking, did he call me a dog? Really? Did he really call me a dog? If I had been her, I think I might have been a bit shocked. Actually, no, I would probably be a lot shocked. But this woman maintained her composure. She faced a few choices. She could have simply walked away sad and dejected. Or she could have chosen to take offense and walk away angry. But she chose instead to enter into conversation with Jesus and remain expectant about what he might do in her life. So, a little background about the term dog. Commentary writers let us know that Jesus, the Syrophoenician woman, 
and the gospel writer Mark would all have understood that devout Israelites felt disgust towards dogs because they were associated with uncleanness. After all, they roamed the streets and they ate garbage and dead animals. And they would have known that in the rabbinic tradition, the term dog was a term of reproach or disgrace that was used by the Jews to describe the Gentiles who they regarded as ignorant, godless, and pagan idolaters. Commentary writer James R. Edwards also points out that Jesus did not think of this woman in that way. Because, as we noted in the earlier passage in chapter 7, the point that we bookmarked, Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees were to show that there are neither defiled objects like food, and by extension, nor, pe nor persons. It would clearly defeat Jesus' purpose here if he regarded her as an unclean dog. Edwards states instead that Jesus uses the Greek word for dog in a way that refers to the pets in a household, not the unclean street dogs. In this way, it's not a term of disdain or meant as an insult, but rather it was a way of distinguishing between the Jews, who were considered children of God as descendants of Abraham, and Gentiles, the dogs in this parable. So instead of walking away, the Syrophoenician woman enters into the parable with Jesus and responds to him in the terms that he used to address her. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Her, her answer acknowledges the priority of Jesus's mission to the Jews, but also understands that God's mercy extends to the Gentiles as well. Her response reveals that she trusts in the sufficiency and the surplus of Jesus, that his provision is abundant enough to provide for both Jews and Gentiles like herself. Jesus says, for such a reply as this you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Matthew helps us in understanding this response a bit better in his account of the same incident. In Matthew 15:28, he says that Jesus found this woman's reply to be one of great faith. What I want us to notice here is that the Syrophoenician woman lays her request before Jesus and submits it entirely to him. She was definitely expectant that Jesus would heal her daughter, but she had no guarantee that she would receive the outcome that she desired. She placed her faith in Jesus, not in the outcome, and she released her agenda to Jesus. Releasing our agenda to Jesus is another cost in remaining expectant. I say a cost because we like our agendas. We like to know what's going to happen. We are a people who like to remain in control of our lives. But like the Syrophoenician woman, we too must lay our agendas at the feet of Jesus and keep our eyes and our faith fixed on him. Sometimes, though, we can want something so much in our lives that in making our requests of God, 
our eyes subtly shift from Jesus over to that thing that we want, that request. When this happens, we begin to place whatever that thing is, that request, in a higher place, in a higher priority than God. And anything that is in a higher place of priority in our lives than God becomes an idol. This is idolatry. To remain expectant with faith, we need to keep our faith fixed on Jesus. In order to do this, it's vital that we have right beliefs about God. So imagine with me for a moment that our minds are like a filing cabinet. And the filing cabinet has three drawers. It has a truth drawer, a lies drawer, and then a drawer with a question mark on it for things that we haven't decided yet on. So as we go through life, we begin to develop beliefs about God, maybe from his word or from Sunday school or perhaps from the behavior of other believers or other authority figures in our lives. As we pick up these beliefs, we begin to file them in each of these drawers. But sometimes we have lies filed in our truth drawer and our truths filed in our lies drawer. Do you think this might affect how we approach God and our expectancy in him? Absolutely. We need to make sure that we are believing truth about God, getting the lies out of our truth drawer and the truths out of our lies, lies drawer. And we do this by measuring our beliefs with what is said about God in the truth of scripture. One belief I think that we need to make sure is in our truth drawer is that God is good. And I say that that one is most important because when hard things happen in our lives and when things aren't going the way we think they should, this truth is the first one to fly out of the drawer and out the window. In Psalm 119, King David said of God, you are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. So when I say that God is good, that doesn't mean he's good only when I get what I ask him for, or only when things are going well in my world, or when the great aunt that I didn't know I had leaves me a large inheritance. God is good and his character remains good no matter what circumstances I might be going through. When we anchor our faith in the unchangeable truth about God, then we can remain expectant for what he might do in our lives. Just over a year ago, my husband Ken and I experienced something we never thought would happen in our lives, unemployment. Ken had worked in sales for the same manufacturer for over 30 years. And just like that, he was let go from his job. At first we thought, no problem, there's plenty of jobs out there. But it soon became clear that all the positions Ken applied for were being filled by people considerably younger. As the months stretched on with no prospects in sight, I began to despair. You can ask Ken about his perspective. But I began to despair. I began to get very discouraged and a little bit anxious. 
And thoughts like, he's never going to get a job, started floating through my mind. Sometime in the spring, I was reading through the book of Matthew in my quiet times with the Lord. And one day, I was reading in Matthew 9. And the words of Jesus jumped off the page at me. In this passage, two blind men had asked Jesus for healing. But it was Jesus' response to them that jumped off the page at me and straight into my heart. Jesus said, do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe that I am able to do this? In that question, he was asking me, do you believe that I am good enough, kind enough, and powerful enough to give your little bit older husband a job? Yeah. He was asking me if I was believing truth about him or if perhaps I had allowed some lies to sneak into my truth drawer. And they had. So I needed to ask the Lord for forgiveness for starting to believe some lies about him. But I also had to do as the Syrophoenician woman did and surrender my idea of what the outcome should be and leave that in Jesus' hands, expectantly trusting that whatever happened, he is good, and what he does is good. The outcome was very different from what I thought it should be. Instead of another job in sales, the Lord gave Ken a job doing renovations. It's a much more physically demanding job, which seems a bit odd, but the Lord is providing all the strength and all the energy that he needs for where he's called him right now. The Lord longs for relationship with us, and he longs for us to walk day by day with him, expectant for what he will do in our lives. And to do so, it's vital that we are believing truth about him, that he is good, that he's kind, and that he's powerful. His ways and thoughts are different from our ways and thoughts. But he's for us. He's not against us. And he loves us with an unfailing love. As we move into 2019, I'd like to challenge each one of us to respond in the way the Syrophoenician woman did. To put ourselves in Jesus' presence. To have conversations with him and to place our faith in him as a good God. Believing the truth about him and remaining expectant for how, out of his abundance and surplus of provision, he will work next in every area of our lives, individually and corporately, in this body of believers at First Alliance. This coming week, we'll have special opportunities to just do that. As you've heard, it's our custom here at First Alliance to set aside the first week of January to gather together in God's presence for worship and prayer. So from Tuesday to Friday, we'll gather at 7 a.m., noon, and 7 p.m., and you're encouraged to come and participate in the times that work for you. Also next Sunday, we're going to do what we've done for a number of years. We'll take time in our service to celebrate communion together. We'll take communion by inviting people forward to take the bread and to dip it in the cup 
and return to our seats. And afterwards, we'll move into a time of prayer for anointing and healing. We'll have pastors, elders, mobilizers, and prayer ministry teams stationed in pairs all around the sanctuary, ready to pray and anoint each one of us. It's an opportunity for us to come expectantly, saying, Lord, I want everything that you have given to me through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want all of the health, healing, and wholeness that you desire for me as we enter this new year. Let's come to him expectantly. Let's offer our lives to him. Let's say to him in our spirit, I want to walk with you day by day throughout 2019. Worship team, would you please come?